0: as high producing agents and team leaders share their stories and unpack the principles and systems they've used to double, triple, and even quadruple their business while enjoying greater quality of life. And
1: now, here's the latest episode of Club Wealth TV.
2: Good morning, everybody. I'm pretty sure we're live now. It's Michael Hellickson with Club Wealth Coaching and Consulting. I am joined today. By my co-hostess with the mostest, Sheree Benjamin, and also the co-host with the most, Brian Curtis. Uh, Brian and Sheree, as you guys know, are both coaches with Club Wealth. They both crush it, and uh, they've both done very, very, very well in their businesses and have done a great job on Club Wealth TV of really helping us evoke all the great information out of our guests like today's guest, Mr. Aaron Drussel. And I always say it wrong, is it Drussel or Drussel? I, I screw this up all the time. It just rhymes with muscle. Ah, that's how I need to remember it. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So Aaron is in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, and no, it's not an actual requirement to be Mormon if you're gonna live there, but it helps. Uh, but I don't think that it's actually required. I think they stopped the uh the immigration process into Salt Lake. They don't actually check for a temple recommend anymore, do they? Uh, No, not that I'm aware of. that's good. That's good. All right, I can get away with saying that because I'm LDS, so it's not the end of the world. Cherise, like, no, Helixon, not good. Is that not
3: jokes are just like not jokes?
2: Come on, that's a good. What are you talking about? Like, it's it's you. Everybody there is 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 LDS practically, aren't they? Isn't that kind of a deal there? No, Uh, I don't even.
3: Yeah, he's like not really
2: it's like, I'm trying to be as courteous as I can to you, Michael, but no, not really. All right. So that being said, we're talking today with Aaron about his five-step process to determine whether or not you should leave a buyer at the altar. Uh, And so I'm assuming we're talking about the matrimony altar and not the altar of sacrifice here. Uh, So what's that? It depends on the client. So it just depends on the client. There's probably <laughs> times where you want to sacrifice them on a lot.
3: <laughs> just-
2: <them> <laughs> but let's talk about this for a minute, because first of all, let me let me back up. So, Aaron, tell us about the makeup of your business. And actually, before you do, I got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Wise Hire. I want to thank them for making this possible. Without them, we couldn't do these shows. So thank you to Wise Hire. If you guys haven't already checked them out. Check them out at uh, clubwealth.com forward slash W-I-Z-E-H-I-R-E. They're the ones that pay to make this show happen. And also, they're the ones we use for uh, a lot of our recruiting ads. We have a lot of clients having a lot of success with them. Uh, so check them out. We love them. They're great. And uh, so, Aaron, tell us a little bit about your business and uh, just kind of what how it's made up. Uh, yeah, so I've, uh, for
1: years, I've built up a real estate team, and I had a real estate team, and then we transitioned that into a brokerage. And we built up that brokerage over the last several years. So now I still run a team within my brokerage, and then I have a brokerage. We have about 104 agents between two offices, and uh, that's our makeup right now.
2: Okay, so you're crushing. you got 100 agents between two offices. Your team obviously did very well as well. So tell me this, because here's what I want to know. We talk about when is it okay to leave, or when is it time to leave your buyer at the altar? Do we really want to do that? Is there really a time where it's just time to say "screw you"? I'm done. I'm not wasting any more time with you.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest key is um, like when you look at today's world of buyer lead conversion, like we're we're catching people further upstream, which is the name of the game. Like you're you're catching people. You're trying to find people further and further upstream. And the challenge is, is that too often, we are moving that relationship forward too fast. And so us in the industry, we consider those people buyers, we consider them clients, when really they're just in the beginning stages of thinking about even becoming a buyer. And we have all this technology now, and there's even AI that's being integrated and all these different things that are going further and further upstream to find people. And yet when we start to get engagement with people, Further upstream, we want them to be now buyers, and we treat them as now buyers too early in the process.
2: Okay, so, so tell us more about that. So you're saying, if, if somebody's thinking about, okay, I'm a year out, so how, give me an example of how we would be treating them like a today buyer in an inappropriate way.
1: Well, so I, I mean, I use, the, I use the example of a, uh, working with people in a dating scenario. So mm-hmm. too often, we go on a first date, and we're proposing to people, And we're dropping on one knee and pulling a ring out. And it's the very first date you've met this person. And you're trying to move the relationship way too fast. And so what's the initial reaction from a person who goes on the first date and they get proposed to? They're going to freak out.
3: Yeah, those are those one night stands. Yeah, they just. Well, I mean, that's what it is
1: they don't do those in you yeah and if someone says yes to that relationship and if they're like oh yeah yeah like let's do this like then you're kind of worried about what kind of person is that that would say yeah. yes to an engagement on the first date
2: okay
0: so i think i get to play devil's advocate so somebody's got to you uh, always do bring it you
2: play that role well <laughs> we
0: all have that role so I, I'm with you. I'm not asking, I agree that we don't need to ask somebody to you know sign away their life the first day that we meet them. but here's here's what scares me about this, Aaron. and by the way, I don't even think you're wrong. But here's a couple of things that I want people to think about is highest and best use of your time. So if I've got three clients that are planning on buying a house in the next fifteen months, Maybe I work a little bit harder to date this person a little bit more versus if I've got 15 people I'm already showing houses to. So one of the things I just want, I want to be careful of is, and I don't disagree with what Aaron's saying is that one of the things I've seen agents do over and over and over again is come up with a reason not to work with somebody. So I've sold so many buyers and I've probably only fired maybe five clients in 15 years. And maybe that's to my detriment. Maybe Aaron should have coached me up to do a better job along the way. But I guess what I'm saying is don't don't everybody go, yeah, I gotta go fire all these people now, or get rid of all these people now, or I'm not ready to work with all these people now. Understand where you're at, how many leads you have, how many clients you have before you start firing people. So well, go ahead.
3: Sorry. I think that part of what he's saying is that, you know, some of some of us when we when we when we meet people, we don't engage and go further with them. We don't dig deep enough. You know, I think that's that's part to figure out what their real reason for wanting to buy um, since we're talking about buyers, what their real reason to want to buy is um, instead of just going right in, sign the papers, are you pre-qualified? Are you this Are you that? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of that instead of what Aaron is saying of the dating phase. You know, I'm so used to sounds weird. But I'm so used to dating my clients uh, for a while before we get to that point. But um I think an experienced agent knows when that window of opportunity is just like you guys, you know, you kind of know when that window of opportunity to go next, you know to go get that girl. i um, an experienced agent kind of knows when that window. I probably shouldn't have went down the one night stand where I'm kind of making it a turn for the worse here. <laughs> We're like slowly going downhill in this conversation. No, was sure. I think you're on the right track because agents do like even over
2: the phone, they're trying to make out with people over the freaking phone, man. Like take me to dinner first, buy me some flowers, but you know, don't get on the freaking phone with me and expect me to get pre-qualified right now. It's, it's like at some point deliver me some value right? Before you, yeah, and that's, that's why I always like to say, you know, it's the first one. It's like even drug dealers are smarter than this, right? Right. Even drug dealers know you give them the first one free and then you pay. Right. But real estate agents, they're like, no, no, you gotta pay me. I want you to deliver the check to my house. No, better yet, go cash the check. Bring me the cash. In fact, bring in gold bullion and then maybe I'll consider you to, you know, going and showing you a
3: house. And it's in. I don't know which one. Are you about to like try to sell me some crack? Or are you about to scream like oh. Jerry Maguire and show me the money? Like that was. Which route you're going just
0: bring this back. So, Aaron, if yeah. you don't I mind love home buyers. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Aaron, if you don't mind. So I appreciate the things you don't want to do. Let's talk about the things you do want to do. And maybe that'll <laughs> and help clear up
1: and it's not that like you're not side. working with those people. I think the 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 what what the key thing is. Is that we call people clients when they're not really clients? Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So just like when you said that you have people that are 15 months out, like they're not current clients, like they are pre-clients, they're prospects. But we, but too quickly in our industry, we just call people clients and we call them and we put them on this like this uh, this term. They're just not clients yet. Like they're not ready to be a five-star client. And so we have the five different keys on our checkpoint list to find out if they are a now buyer, like if they're really ready to buy a house right now, and then we treat them differently than we would someone who's a pre-buyer or a pre-client. And so, so I would look at the five things that would, would be in this checklist. And we kind of talked, Michael, you talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but we can kind of go through the five things. And so so when I'm, what we're constantly driving people to is to have this initial consultation. And we're driving people to have this initial meeting where we can sit down and talk to them and find out where they're at in the process. And that's where we kind of determine. Do they have the five qualities that we need? So the five qualities would be number one, they, they have a need that can be met in today's market. So they have a type of like whatever their need is, can it, is it a realistic need that can be met in today's market? So if they come to me and they say, I want a, I want a house that has a, a helicopter pad and a moat around it, and I want to be at the first time buyer price range, that's probably an unrealistic need that can be met in today's market. So that's the first thing: is do they have a realistic need? Number two, is their financing in place? So do they have their financing in place? Whether they're paying cash, whether they're doing their whatever they're getting a loan, like is that in place right now? Do they have all that dialed in? The third,
2: let me—I guess—stop you right there for a second. Are you saying that I shouldn't even show them a house until they're financing in place, or are you simply saying, if I'm going to continue to work with them on an ongoing basis, they need to have their if you're in a long-term relationship with that person, then okay. that that you need to have. I mean, whether okay.
1: you, if you're going to go show a house randomly at different times, like those are just little dates here and there, but you're not engaged to that person yet for a long-term relationship.
2: Okay, I can I can live with that. So let uh, me let me ask this really quick. Uh, those of you that are watching right now, would you do me a favor? Type into your screen if you would if you always get them to prequal before you go show them houses. Type in prequal. If you do not, then type in show the house. I just want to see who's getting a pre-called first, who's showing them the house first. Uh, So just type that into your comments in the Facebook thread here, if you would. I'm really curious as to where everybody stands on that. Keep going, Aaron, keep going down your list. So, So the third
1: item that they have, that they're going to be doing something in the next 60 to 90 days. So they have a timeline that 60 to 90 days that they're going to be. So if the right house came along, they'd be ready to move on that right away. Because if you have someone that has the first two, And they say they have a need that can be met right now, and they have their financing in place, but they're in a year's lease, and they're going to be doing anything for a year, and they're they're not willing to do anything, then they're not a now buyer. Like, they're not a real client yet. They're a pre-client, but we don't want to treat them as a client in today's market right now. Um, The fourth one would be they're willing to work exclusively with you. Like, you are the one person that they're committed to working with, and they're not working with other agents. And, uh, and we have them sign a, uh, an exclusive relationship agreement. And we're willing to sign that on a short-term basis too. So I don't, I, I'm don't and i not talking about an agency agreement. I'm just talking about some sort of relationship agreement. And then we have a copy of that that we can give to people so they can see what that looks like. The, the main tenant behind that is that they understand that when we're working together, we're working I'm the one agent that's helping them in the process. And we're willing to sign that on a short-term basis, whether it's a week or a month, but during that time period that we are the one person that's helping them. And then the last piece is that we're tethered so that we have some sort of appointment or what phone call or something that they know when our next course of action is, when we're next going to be talking to them. And so those are kind of the four, the five things that we're looking for at any given time to make sure that we have a client that is a client that we're willing to work with.
2: Okay. So give us number one and number two again.
1: Uh, they have a need that can be met in today's market. And they have their financing in place.
2: And then what was number three?
1: Uh, that they're going to be doing something in the next 60 to 90 days.
2: Okay. All right. I love it. coaches. sorry.
1: Go ahead, Brian, Shree. Shree, so go ahead.
3: On this, I, I got it. On on this exclusive, you know, they're working exclusive to you. So for me, you know, we've got a, a series of different things that um, we take our buyers through. You know, some of them are, are smaller buyers consultations. Some of them we're we're actually sitting down. Within the office, or at Chick Fil A, it, it just it varies. But when you're talking about them exclusive to you, you know, we typically look for a buyer brokerage agreement. Um, are you saying that you all sign something different than that? That's just a loyalty agreement, because I think I heard you say something in there about that. Whether yeah, whether it's
1: a buyer broker agreement, whether it's some sort of loyalty relationship agreement, either one, we want them to sign something that they that they understand that we're working together for. a a certain amount of time. And so So you're you're
3: basically saying, let's get this, let's get this relationship that we're going to have in writing.
1: Yeah. Like we're, that's the ring that we're putting on. Like that's the proposal, that commitment, that's the commitment that we're doing in the end. I mean, the question is, will we really enforce, even if we had to buy a broker, are we really going to go after those people to enforce it? I mean, that's like, that kind of depends on the scenario, right. With the people that we're working with. Um, And each agent will take that differently. Um, In the end, I just want them to sign something that they understand that we are working with them for a certain amount of time. And it's clear what that looks like.
3: So talk to me about the ones when you find agents who are just scared to even have a loyalty agreement, a buyer brokerage agreement, or anything like that sign. There's a lot of them out there that are just scared to ask for that type of commitment. And with your agents that I'm going to say that you're coaching them throughout in your brokerage, how do you get them past that mental block?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is that there's a fear of missing out on this buyer, but really it's the opportunity cost of all the other business that could be created and they could be doing by working with someone who's not really committed to working with them. And so that all comes back to coaching and training with people, understand the importance of having clarity around what the relationship looks like. I think one of the biggest challenges we run into is, If I'm working in a scenario where I think I'm in a committed relationship and that person is dating other people, like how does that work out in the end? Not good. Not not good. Because you're, you're thinking you're in this great relationship. And that's where we come back to that whole concept of working with buyers too early in the process because we think we're in this engaged relationship that we're working together and that person is dating other people the whole time. And we were never clear with that conversation up front.
2: So I, I think you're nailing it right there, which is you got to set clear expectations. And I think, you know, we see this in the Facebook groups all the time. Oh, you know, I, I, I sent my best friend a list of homes recently. And then I found out yesterday they bought a house from somebody else. And I'm so offended and I'm so mad. And how dare they? And I, I just I'm never going to talk to them again. And it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, were you clear with them up front? Did you treat them like a professional up front and get something signed by them so that they and you knew what to expect out of that type of relationship between the two of you? And the reality is, in almost every case, the answer is no, they didn't do that. And so what happens is you've got this agent here who has all this experience in real estate and has all these different scenarios they've been through in real estate and their expectation is over here. And you've got this potential buyer Who's, you know, maybe done one transaction in their entire life, sees all this stuff online, reads all this stuff, you know, hears all this stuff in the news and whatever. And they think, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with me buying from somebody else. I mean, why is that a big deal? They, they don't draw the connection and they don't it's, they're not doing it to piss you off. They're just they just don't know any better. And it's because and, and well, let me back up. Whose fault is that? It's the agent's fault. The agent didn't educate them. As agents, it's our job to educate people. It's our job to help them understand the process and to set those expectations so that they and we are
3: happy at the end of the transactions. And if we're not, that is entirely on us. Well, not only that, you know, to your point that you're making, Michael, a lot of us just assume that our friends and family are going to give us their business. And that's not the case. Like they fail to show up professionally. They, you know, they fail to go through the same exact steps and the same exact process that you would with someone that came off of your website, you know, so, and they also just assume that because they know that we're in the business, because I sent you some homes, I don't need to ask for your business. That's what they assume. That's the assumption that's made. And that's just so far from the truth. You should still ask for the business. You should still get your Brokerage engagement, your loyalty agreement, whatever it is that you call it, you should go through these same exact steps that you go through with anyone else. You should go through with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your whatever it is. Same exact process for everyone. I had someone who got fired. So I had a, a guy on my team who was working with a longtime friend of mine from, uh, from high school. And she called me and she said, Cherie, you know what? He's been great, but I only want to work with you. And I said, okay, so he's been great, but tell me what happened. She said, well, he showed up to have no, mind you, her house was already under contract to sell. And we had her other house she was buying under contract at this, you know, this is already what he's done. And she said, well, he showed up to have me sign a form in shorts and flip flops.
2: (laughs) Dude, there's, you are speaking my language. I hate it when people do that. That's and just, it was
3: one piece of paper. He thought of it like, hey, she's already under contract for both sides, slam dunk deals. She was a referral from, you know, my team lead, easy, easy breezy. No, nope. yeah. so I had to take the rest of it over. I mean, he still got paid and all, but still, I had to take it over from him because she was very clear that when I showed up, even though I've known her since we were 14, when I showed up, I was dressed very professional. I walked through her house the same exact way. I did everything the same way I would do it with anyone that I met. I didn't skip a step.
2: So, and then, Sheree, I would, I, first of all, I agree 100% with everything you just said. I would even take that to the next level. I think that it's more important, the, the, the better we know someone, the more important I believe it is to go above and beyond and to be much more clear than we normally would be. In other words, I, I would say, for example, so, so, Sheree. I just want you to know that, yes, I get it. We're really good friends. We love each other. We've known each other for a number of years, but I want you to know that I don't take your business for granted. I want you to know that I'm going to treat you as good or better than anyone I've ever done business with, because I understand that more so than ever, I've got to prove to you because we're friends. I got to prove to you that I'm also the right professional for you and that I'm going to take great care of you. And I want you to know that I'm going to move heaven and earth to make this happen for you. And I will be professional and I will not drop the ball on you. I just, I think you've got to have that conversation with people because if you don't, then all of a sudden they're, again, they're just thinking, oh, this is my friend doing me a solid, but you need to be very clear also about, look, this is my job. This is what I do for a living. I'm very good at my job, but I want you to know that I'm never going to take you for granted because people are afraid of being taken for granted. I think
3: that's, that's so true. And I mean, I look at it as I've got friends who are in all kinds of different professions, And, you know, I have a friend that's a, that's a doctor. When I go to his office, he doesn't like take a chill pill because he sees that it's me. You know, I think that he takes extra care of me in my brain, uh, because it is me, you know, the same thing with everyone that, that we know that are in, that are in other professions, you know, after a certain age, all of our friends tend to have some sort of a career that we can lean upon. And that stuff is great. Um, but we have to still treat them with the same type of treatment, the same type of respect we would with anyone. So Aaron, let's 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 switch it back over just a little bit and let's talk about when it is time to leave them at the altar because there are some times and I think that all of us here have had those cases where you know we've had to, Ditch them at the altar. So, what are some of those examples, or what what are those clues that you that an agent should be looking for?
1: Uh, I think like, I mean the first thing is like, obviously integrity. So, if there's certain things that they want you to do that are against the grain, and they're trying to take advantage of other people, like that's a that's a red flag right there. I mean, those are pretty much like that's probably the the main thing. The other
2: pieces. Like, hey, 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 wait, wait, stop right there. Wait, wait, don't go past it yet. Let's let's hit each one of these as you come in. So let's say they're doing that. Let's I want to role play this for a second. So somebody is doing something that we feel is sideways. How do you handle it? I mean, is this a, you know, a situation where you just carte blanche, say, peace out, I'm good? Or is this something where you sit back and you, and you have a, a conversation with them about it at the risk of maybe sounding holy now? Because I mean, some people, you know, if you're, if you're a person of high moral standard and they maybe are willing to bend the rules a little bit, they may, they, they may look sideways on that. I don't know. So talk to us.
1: I mean, typically, the the way I'll have that conversation with somebody is that when I'm in real estate, I'm trying to find a scenario, we can have a win-win scenario with both sides. And it sounds like what they're trying to do is create a situation where they are guaranteed both wins at the detriment of everybody else. So that's like a way that I'll try to have that conversation with them and then see where it goes from there. And so, but if there's things that are, I mean, if there's some really issues of integrity and and, and problems where that stands out and they won't bend on that, then then I'll tap out of that scenario. So
3: I think that some of it even goes to when, you know, we always have, we run across those clients that don't look at it as a win-win, you know, it's just all I need to win and that's it, you know, and then we get those clients who um, will go around you. So we'll have those clients that actually think that they know how to do our job. And they will go around us to go talk to the, ah, oh, this is one of my favorites. So the buyer goes back past the house and just knocks on the door to talk to the seller. So they can figure some things out on their own, you know, forget those agents. Let's just figure some things out on our own. Now this is your buyer that you're working with exclusively. You know, so what would you tell someone uh, in that aspect when that happens? Because I'm sure after a while, those things have happened to just about all of us. We could run into a scenario where it's going, what what do you mean you talk to the seller? Well, what do you mean you call the other agent? You know, so what do you do about that one when the buyer goes behind your back?
1: Um, I I've, bring I've that up directly to them. I and mean, that's a confrontation that you'd have to have right away with that person and, and find out what the motivation level is. And at the same time, I think the biggest key on any of those conversations is, is spinning it so they understand how it's not in their best interest to do that. Because in the end, I mean, they're always looking out for number one, which is themselves. Yep. If I'm talking about how it's not beneficial for me, they could honestly, they could care less. So it's all about like how is that not going to really help them in the end and be able to point out some different pitfalls that they're not seeing that are going to be like issues that they're going to come across now. Like, but they're thinking it's going to be better for them, but I want to make sure they understand it's not really in their best interest to do that.
3: I think a lot of that goes back to um, how when, when we skip steps early on, that's a lot of times when that happens. Mm-hmm. So when we don't make it very clear as to how agency works when we don't make it so that they understand the type of fiduciary responsibilities we have to them, that we're working for them, that their interest is what's in the best interest for all of us, you know, for, you know, that's what we're looking out for. Um, When we skip those steps, that's when that tends to happen. And a lot of times people will skip past those steps because it's, oh, well, we found the house or oh i showed them one house and they liked it so i just skipped past everything those are almost always the times when all these little things happen and, and things just fall through the cracks and it becomes a nightmare transaction you know one after the other you feel like you you work for the fire department
2: dude sure you need to get out of my freaking head because i'm <laughs> literally i feel like you're in my head right now reading my mind because i'll tell you here's one of the things that you know this is this comes back to how many times do I say you need to have a checklist for everything? I tell people this all the freaking time and everybody fights me on it because, oh, I don't need a checklist I don't work best that way. I just have a flip chart and I go through it once in a while and sometimes I don't. If I need it, I use it. If I don't need it, I don't use it. Well, guess what? That's why you encounter problems like this. If you don't have a checklist and you don't follow the checklist every time, you're going to encounter more problems than you would if you if you used it. Now, does that mean using a checklist is going to eliminate all problems down the road? No. You're going to tell somebody something three, four, five times, and it's still not going to sink in. That's going to happen once in a while, right? If you don't believe me, try having kids. Um, but you get my point right like at some level you're gonna have to repeat things over and over and over again to people for them to really understand it comprehend it and utilize it at the end of the day though if you don't even mention it once dude it is on you and that's where a checklist will help you and we just i just saw a post in the club wealth group here just uh was it yesterday or today where somebody was talking about listing appointments uh and how they didn't get this particular listing and they were they were trying to figure out well why didn't i get the listing well here's why you didn't get the listing Because your checklist isn't dialed in like it needs to be yet, and you're not following it. Because if you're following your checklist, every single time you don't get the listing, you're going to update that checklist. You're going to figure out, what is it that I didn't say? What is the objection they had that I didn't figure out that I should have addressed? And if I put that in my checklist and I address it before they can even ask the question, guess what? Now it's no longer an objection. I can move past it. I've got a better chance of getting them signed. But if I'm reactive to objections all the time or I'm reactive to situations all the time, instead of being proactive and solving it before they can even ask the question, I'm at a disadvantage.
3: So I'll tell you this. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, (laughs) Brian, I'll tell you this. What I will do is let's say we're at a house and it's like, boom, that's the right house. So we go and we show them, you know, I'm, I'm okay with going and showing you one before we verify everything. So I go show you this one house, and yes, this is the right house. Okay, great, well, now let's, did you get a pre-qualified? No, okay, well, let's go ahead and get that part done so that we can write this offer. We go through that process, that gets done. Now it's time to sit down and write this offer. I am then going to, whether it's over the phone, whether it's face-to-face, whatever it is, I'm going to go through the entire thing with them that checklist that Michael is talking about. I'm going to hit every single point while we're going over the offer, while we're discussing it. It's not like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, kiss me on my forehead and slap your booty as you walk out the door. I'm not going to do that. I'm still going to go through that whole process with you. (laughs) Whatever. I'm still going to go through that whole process with you because what happens is that I now, when you bring it up later, I can say, remember when I said this, when we discuss this this is what i meant by that and it, then they say oh yes it only takes a couple of times uh remember when we went over when we discussed this oh yes it only takes a couple of times for them to do that before they say okay i'm just going to give it all to you sheree you you got it i understand you prepared me for it all we've discussed it all i it's all on you that's what typically ends up happening because i can revert it right back to there but if i skip the step all together, then it's just like I said before, it's a nightmare. It, it's somehow, some way, some shape, some fashion, it comes up, and I'm like, dang it, I forgot to tell them this. Now I gotta backtrack.
2: Okay, so then well, I gotta ask the question. Everybody that's watching right now, I, oh, look at this. Sally, I love it. Sally Benford's like, where's the checklist? I love it. All right, so we do, and if you go into the, the world class buyer agent book, if you haven't uh, already got a copy of that, go on to Amazon. Uh, or you can just go to uh, uh, clubwealthbook.com. Clubwealthbook.com. You can get a copy of the World Class buyer Buyer's Book, uh, where you can get uh, sample checklists. There's downloads, all kinds of cool stuff there. Um, but that being said, what I'd like to know from everybody watching right now: type into your screen "checklist yes" or "checklist no." I just want to know: are you using a checklist or not? Tell me yes or you know yes or no. Are you using a checklist on a regular basis with your buyers, not just your sellers, but on your buyer appointment? Do you have a checklist you follow? And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to be surprised if most of you are, but be honest with us. I want to kind of get a feel for where this falls out there uh, in terms of how many people are using one and how many aren't.
3: And I'll tell you, I didn't used to, you know, when I first started early on, I wasn't using it. I was like, oh, wow, great. Offer time, baby. You know, and that was it for me. Uh, And then I started saying, I'm really sick of this stuff coming up. You know, how do I get in front of it? How do I be more proactive instead of being reactive when it comes down to buyers? Um, Because we we know how to do that when it comes down to sellers. So that's when I started working on this prior to meeting you, Michael. Then I started working on what this checklist and for myself would look like, because I tell you, after kissing so many frogs, you know, you get tired of it.
2: (laughs) So let me ask you this. Are you?
3: Oh, no, Brian.
2: (laughs) Go ahead, Brian. Brian, go ahead. Aaron as our guest.
0: (laughs) So I'm I'm picking on Michael and Cherie. So let come back to us for a second, because you brought this up and I would like to know what you actually say to people. And what I mean by that, we talked about signing a buyer broker or a loyalty agreement or something like that. Those we've every person on this call who's done that has also ran into some walls. So if you don't mind, tell us what you're saying to those people to help that process go smoothly, because I really feel like one of the reasons that people are afraid to ask people to sign a buyer broker, is they don't know how to do it. So um, obviously you're having a lot of success with it. It's something you're doing pretty consistently. Teach us how to do it.
1: Okay, so, so the key thing is I look at the buyer broker and I look at that as, and we use that, that the example of being engaged with somebody, like that's when you're proposing to them. Like that's when you're getting down on, a knee, on your knee and you're like giving them the ring. If you're proposing that. So the first, the first part of that is it's setting the, 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 where that is happening. So I have the most amount of success when that happens at my office, my number one place. So if I, can, if I can meet with my clients at my office, I control that scenario. That's my candlelight dinner. That's the nice restaurant I invite somebody to. Like that's what I'm proposing to them. Like it's, it's, a, it's a little bit crazier if I'm trying to propose to somebody in a scenario where I don't have control over that scenario. But I do at my office. Now the so second one is set the environment. Yeah, set the environment. And mm-hmm. whether and if it's at their house or somewhere else, like you have to like kind of play with and roll with it, but it's gonna you don't have the same control over it. So so number one is the environment. Number two is a discussion beforehand. So we have a very meaningful discussion and I and I do a lot of I ask a lot of questions to really understand what their needs are and be on the same page. And so we until so we build our rapport and I have a good understanding of what they are looking for in a house. And we have a very detailed Process. We go through about a half hour, 45 minute process of really asking them questions, going in depth about what they're looking for. And when we have accomplished that and we're clear that we're on the same page, then the next conversation is.
0: So step two is discovery. I'm, I'm trying to I'm just trying to organize. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So step two discovery. And then number three then is what does that what does that look like for us working together? So that's number three is saying. So the next steps so we've gone through what everything looks like. Now, what the next step is, so now that I understand what you're looking for in a house and have, have a clear picture of what that is, my next step is I'm going to go through this list I'm going to be doing some research on my own and I'll be finding different home options, whether they're on the market currently or coming up on the market or they've been on the market in the past. When I'm working in that way and I'm dedicating that amount of time to looking for your house, then I work on an exclusive basis. Will that work for you? Okay. Awesome. I, so I ask that question to them, and then I want to find out whatever their challenges are, whatever their issues are in that. Because I, I want them to know upfront what I'm going to be doing. And then I say, for me to do that, then I work on an exclusive basis. Will that work for you? And then whatever <laughs> challenges they come up with, I resolve those. And then I pull out the paper and say, OK, great. Well, for us to work together, here's, a, here's an example of a, of a sheet that just shows that we're working together as a team during this process. And I'm cool working together, whatever that time period looks like. In fact, I encourage this agreement to be a shorter period of time because, no offense, there are some people who will sign, like, a six-month agreement, and I don't even know if I want to work with you guys in six months. Like, I don't even know if you guys want to work with me in six months. So, so instead of agreeing to a long-term <coughs> commitment, we can always renew this as if everything's working out well between us. And so I'm um, good. Yeah, go ahead. I, I cut you off. I apologize. You're no, you're good. Like, like I said, like, I'm good working if we want to work together for a couple of weeks, whether it's a month or six months or whether it's a month or two months, we'll get us, we can just renew it and I'm totally cool with that.
0: So let me ask you another question then. So one of the things that I've been teaching my agents to you, and this is a little script that we're using is, so if I was working with Sheree, I'd say, Sheree, listen, you know, I wanna provide you excellent service at a level you deserve that I believe that every one of my clients deserve. Realistically for me, I can only do that with five or six buyers at any given point in time. So I just want you to understand that upfront The reason I'm asking you for a commitment is because for me to provide the level of service that you deserve, I can't work with 25 people. Do you guys use any kind of script like
3: that? Um, We use something more, and I think that it's really good because here's the thing. FOMO is real sometimes with people,
1: Mm -hmm. even
3: in that aspect. And what am I missing out? And if I don't say yes, then someone else will come in. You know, Brian, let's let's script. Let's let's role play that a little bit, because if you get a high D personality on the other side, the high D personality says huh? Because you're trying to, you're, you're being too salesy to me. You know, it, it sounds a little bit. So what's your, what's your objection to the, Oh, well, okay. Well, somebody else working, might come in and that's okay.
0: Okay. And, and then I'll honestly, and I think Aaron would probably say the same thing. If you're not willing to commit to me, I can't commit to you because I'm going to work with you somewhere on a minimum of about 15 hours up to about 30 hours. And guys, if you're not willing to make that commitment for me, I can't work for free for 30 hours. I'd love it if I could, but I'm not independently wealthy, and this is how I make my living. So unfortunately, if you're not willing to commit, I get that, and I respect it. Uh, I would love the opportunity if you want to do that, but if, unfortunately, um, if that's not what you're not interested if you're not interested in doing that, I get it. So that's that's my comeback. I'm not going to I'm not going to fight them because I can go on there and convince them why I'm better than everybody else and all this other kind of stuff. But there are so many people out there, you know, and this is when do you fire a buyer? In my opinion, this is when I fire a buyer. If they say that they want to work with six other agents, then I got I do have a, a, a big enough list that I can go out and do that. So
2: okay, and Brian, to your point, you just nailed it. This is only a problem when you're not working hard enough to fill your pipeline from the front end, right? If I'm really filling my pipeline on the front end, if I'm doing my lead generation, my lead follow-up and my lead conversion, I should have a surplus of buyers I'm working with. If, however, I'm a lazy butt and I like to sit around and wait for people to show up and beg me to do business with them, I need to learn that new script, Cherie's favorite script, right? Would you like fries with that?
3: I mean, that's- know, Michael, sometimes it's not just the lazy, bus. sometimes it's a newer agent, you know, yes. so they are, they're okay. out there they're grinding and they're trying their best to do mm-hmm. that. But, and so they do, they hang on to those people who end up being their time horse, you know, instead of letting them go. Uh, you guys just. Oh my gosh. I'm like,
2: Shree, who are you today?
3: Okay. <laughs>
0: But it's no, bad. you know,
2: I, mean, I, I want to back up to, I want to back up to this uh, really quick, to the whole checklist thing. And I'm, I'm asking about this because every, like literally everybody that answered the question, are you using a checklist? Guess what their answer was? No. Every One of them said no.
3: And, yeah, and, but it's no, with a little, with a little sad face. And that's, to me, that's an acknowledgement that there's something that they understand that they should be doing. And that was me playing is always the great game I'm, me. I'm acknowledging that that's
2: sad that they're not doing it.
3: <laughs> oh, that's you. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Well, but today is such a good day to make that change. So it's yes. okay. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, but Shree, why, now you're, you're listening. I mean, okay, but, they're learning.
2: Okay. Here's what I want to ask you though, because Sri, you crush it and Aaron, you crush it and Brian, you crush it. I want to ask all of you this and share this and be transparent and honest on your teams. Are you using, and the guys, if you haven't typed this in yet, type this into your screen as well. I want to know, are you using a checklist? For the first appointment you know, for your initial buyer appointment and are you using a checklist for writing the contract up i'll answer so oh, I,
3: didn't know that was an answer. I thought that
0: was for the no, i'm so, asking you guys too So my answer is is no with a caveat what i mean by that is there's processes that are built in so for example we have a process that you have to learn before you go show a house you go through that process when you're done showing the house we have paperwork that basically shows you what the next step is. So you have to memorize some stuff, you have to memorize some of the process, but then once we get to what, and I'm with Aaron, it's much more ideal to do a buyer consultation at Starbucks, in the office, in their house, in somebody else's house is probably not ideal, but better than nothing. So, but we have that process that we go through and those slides, if you will, you're going through, and each one of those slides has a script that's associated with, so no, it's not, check 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 but it's process 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 indicated by paperwork that's in
3: front of you well i think this is kind of i I think that's basically the same thing you know whether you're checking it off you're still going through it and you might be mentally checking it off as you're going through each slide there but i I think it's the same thing whether you're physically putting a check or you're looking at that and explaining it you know i think it's similar michael i'm just saying go ahead aaron you first because you like your little red pins and you want to no,
1: Erin. you're, you're yeah. up i think having the processes and having a checklist is an important key and and that, and that comes back to the very beginning of this cold call where we or this this conversation is is un- identifying what a real buyer is and if you like on those five different qualities that i talked about earlier like that's how I, we determine what a real buyer is and, and too quickly people just call people buyers and so i mean even if you took the, if you took that list of those five qualities and you and you put that against all the different buyers you're working with are those still buyers that your current buyers in today's market or do we just want to call people buyers so we feel better about life and we feel like we have clients but really if you're working with people that aren't qualified and they're not really having current needs and they're not exclusive to you they're not really clients or they could be clients they're just not your clients i mean you might be taking around and spending a lot of time with them but they're not your clients and so And if you really were to focus on people who are really your clients, then you're going to be that much more in tune of making sure you're moving people along the process that you can best help.
2: Well, and this is, again, where I think being on a team really helps, because one thing, if you identify early in the process that, hey, this person's for real, but they may not be the right client for me. Well, you know what? Instead of just waving goodbye to them, refer them to somebody else on the team. Refer them to somebody who's got such a different personality type than yours that they might be a better fit for them. You know, Sheree and I may or may not, you know, have, be the same ideal fit for people. I know Brian and I are not the same ideal fit for people, right? And, and and you know, I, I mean, I can think of some other great examples, uh, you know, who's somebody that's maybe a little bit more out of like Bjorkman and I, oh my gosh, like he and I are two totally different people. We have two totally different avatars of people that we do business with on a regular basis. Um, and so that being said, that doesn't make the person not a good person. It doesn't make me not a good person. It just means that maybe we're not the right fit for each other. That's one of the reasons why at Club Wealth, when someone signs up for Club Wealth, we have them interview three of our coaches to make sure they're getting the right fit because you just don't know in the beginning if somebody's going to be the right fit or not, um, even though you might be a great professional and they might be a great client. And so, you know, that being said, i got to come back to the checklist, you guys, and I'm just going to – this. I promise I'll drop it after this, but you guys. I don't
0: believe
2: you. What's that, Brian? I
0: don't believe you.
2: You don't believe you? <laughs> Dude, I cannot say enough, you guys, how important having a checklist is. If you get on an airplane, I bet you wish your pilot had a checklist, not a mental one, but a written down checklist, not a sort of checklist, but something they literally check every freaking box. Yep. I checked the jack screw. It's not going to fail. And we're not all going to die today. Right. Like those kinds of things. And you guys, I know this isn't life and death, but it is very important, especially to the client. And it's important to your business to get it right every time. And you're gonna get it right more often if you follow a checklist. And I'll tell you, especially for you new agents, the newer you are in the business, the more important it is for you to follow a checklist. The now less
3: amen to that. It really is, right? I mean, because, <laughs> you- it is because then it 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 gets over that. It, I think for a newer agent, it it so much helps even their own confidence more so than just the other person, because yes, I am telling you this. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this, you know, I'm going through these steps. I'm having these things signed. It helps so much for a new agent with their confidence, because most agents are so scared for someone to say, well, how long have you been in the business?
2: Well, you nailed it. It gives you more confidence, not just you, but the client as well. Everybody's yeah. got more confidence when you're sitting there with a checklist, following it. And they're less. they I feel like it puts them at ease, and I'll tell you why I feel like it puts them at ease. Because they know there's an end to this, right? They they can see that I'm checking boxes off. I'm getting close, right? They can see the progress. It's like when you're online. Think about online salespeople. They're wicked good at this. They have a progress bar at the top of the screen, so they know you're in step one, step two, step three, and how far along you are in that process. So it gives you the encouragement to keep moving forward in the progress process, and you don't abandon their shopping cart. Same thing here. Don't let them abandon your shopping cart. Make sure they know where they're at in the process and make sure they know they're making progress in the process. So anyway, that being said, Aaron, let's, I want to recap this really quick. So I've got um, the, the five steps to determining if you should leave someone at the altar, a buyer at the altar is one. Do they have a need that we can be that can be met or that specifically we can meet? Two, do they have financing in place? And again, this is after we've met with them the first time. This doesn't have to be prior to the first meeting. Uh, Three, are they going to buy something in the next 60 to 90 days? Four, are they willing to work exclusively with me? Five, are they tethered to working exclusively with me? In other words, do uh, do we have our next call set up? Do we have our next appointment set up? And of course, we got to get that buyer agency agreement signed. And the three things I've gotten, you're going to have to remind me on the third one. Um, you, to get that buyer agency agreement signed. One is set the environment correctly, you know, get the environment under control. Two is discussion and discovery. What was three?
1: And three is um, asking, like, is like having a clear clear de- definition of roles and, and asking for the
2: exclusions. Asking for the close. So, and so here's my concern on that one. I'm going to ask all three of you to share this with me because this is one that is a pet peeve of mine that drives me freaking nuts. So many agents don't have a closing line, and and you all know my favorite on listing appointments, right? It's are there any other questions before we get started on the paperwork, and I shake my head back and forth, and they they say no, and it's great, fantastic sign here. But let's talk about buyer appointments in in particular, and in particular, getting the buyer agency agreement close. Give me a closing line that you use on a regular basis, so that you encourage others to use that will get them to say yes.
3: I mean, for me, it's the same it didn't change. I, I don't I don't switch it up, whether it's a buyer or whether it's a seller. We go through a, a different process where on the seller side, it is, you know, you're getting, you're working on your disclosures and all of that before you get to your uh, listing um, agreement. For the buyer side, we're working on our love it or, you know, our love it or list it. We're working on our loyalty agreement. We're working on all of that prior to you getting to your buyer brokerage agreement. So it's, for us, it's just, different paperwork that has to get done but it's the same exact process each time um so it's you go through that and once we've gotten through all the abcs of agencies and all of that it's still the same is there any other questions before we get started on the paperwork no okay you're still using that okay good still using it it's the same thing okay i didn't know you were using that That's awesome that actually makes me
2: really happy to hear that you're using that um, okay, Brian, what about you? What are you using? Do you, do you, are, and, and or do you even have one? And, and or do your agents have a closing line they use on a regular basis? So our, our close is slightly different than yours. But um, when I
0: close, and again, on listing buyer, doesn't matter. The way our contracts are designed, you have your name or you have a person's name and above their name is a line. And that's where they're supposed to sign. And so I'm not, i just put stuff in front of them after i've gone through all the entire process i'm not gonna bore anybody with that again but basically if you know if you don't have any other questions please sign above your name and that's that's my clothes great that's it it's similar to yours it's the, it's the that's same and it does the same thing and so anyone out there what the clothes the tree use and the clothes that i use all we're doing in that situation is either they're going to sign it which honestly they do the majority of the time or it creates objections. And the idea of creating objections is so that you can close the objections. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who are afraid of objections. Don't be afraid of objections because a lot of times the objection is, I just don't understand this. Or, you know, I thought, I mean, think on the thing about the buyer side. And every single person who, the, I guarantee you all four of us have dealt with this, sometimes a buyer thought that they had to write you a check for 3%. Well, we all know that that's not what happens. And they think by signing this contract, all of a sudden, I just committed to give Brian $9,000 out of my pocket. Well, that's not true. So, well, I don't want to pay you. Great. That's a great objection. If you don't ask, if you don't close, you don't get the objection. And then they ghost you and you don't know why. So, closing's yeah. not a, it's, we're not Glenn Gary, Glenn Rawson out there. What we're doing is asking people to work with us. And if they don't want to work with us initially, we're asking them why so that. Maybe. And again, maybe we'll find out we don't want to work with them, but we have to flush out the objections or we're never going to close.
3: And, the re- and the, here's the thing. The reason why I like and I stick to are there any other questions, because then that helps with agents, especially newer agents to understand it. it's a question. It's not an objection, okay? because they get so scared of the word objection and they're hunting for the objection to come in there. But no, it's just a question. Mm-hmm. So we have an answer for your question. You know, they have a legitimate question that they might ask you, and here is the answer. So if I frame it that way, then a lot of times it helps with agents and and, and their psyche of, oh, it's not the big bad objection that's going to make them walk away. It's just a question. That's all it is. Aaron, what about you?
2: And actually, Aaron, before you say yours, while Aaron's telling us his, would you guys, all of you, type in the screen, and, Aaron, and uh, Sheree and Brian, if you guys could do the same with yours, uh, if you guys could go to the Facebook post, type into the Facebook post, everybody that's watching, what closing, what, what closes are you using? What words are you using? What script? What sentence? What whatever are you using to get people to go to signature? Aaron, go ahead.
1: So for us, we always talk about the next step and that's how we will go to the close. And we just say, OK, so the next step in the process is here's the paperwork you just need to sign here. Are there any other questions that you have before you sign the paperwork here? And so we kind of go through that. But usually by the time I just say, here's the paperwork, the next step is going through the paperwork. This is where you'll sign right here. And I say sign here and I point to it. So sign here and I'm like, any, any questions you have before you go ahead and sign uh, where, where, on the document. So that's the easy, but we constantly talk about the next step. So the mm-hmm. next step in the process is this. The next step is the process is this. And then and using that same um, piece of where you're asking for questions.
2: So I love that. I love that you're going next step, you know, because it really is it's it's saying that look, we're moving forward. And they get in the habit of if you're constantly saying next step, next step, next step throughout the process, when it comes time to write the offer on the house, now it's normal, right? Now it's like, okay, the next step is for you to sign here so that I can start negotiating with the seller on your behalf. That's fantastic, right? I love that. Uh and Brian, sure you're typing theirs in too. Thank you for that, guys. Okay, good stuff. All right, so we're, j- we're almost at time. We've literally got one minute left, so we're going to go to final thoughts. We're going to start with Aaron, then we're going to go to Sheree, then Brian, and we'll wrap it up. So 30 seconds or less. Aaron, final thoughts.
1: Uh, the final thought is just, we, we kind of outlined the overall promise of what we're going to be doing for clients, and the better we can be of being upfront and being clear, because people want us to lead, guide, and help them in the process. And if we're weak in asking for the next steps, then that's going to be weak to get results. I love it.
2: Okay. Shereen.
3: Um, I think that understanding where your buyer is, meeting your buyers where they are, but understanding whether you have just a prospect or a client is the big difference here. Which one is it that you're working with? And if you're working with a, with a client or a soon-to-be client, they're in that 60 to 90-day window, then... Get yourself a checklist, even though it is, even though it's a buyer. Start creating that for yourself, um, Michael. As you, you can plug in it. up. there it is. So you can go ahead and plug in some of the the uh, links to the book. You can plug in different things on the Club Wealth um, site in order to start creating your checklist. But you know, Helixon likes for you to check the box off. So start getting that done for yourself. It'll it'll keep you from skipping a lot of steps.
0: I love it. I would say this, differentiation is the key to success in 2019. And I say this over and over again, when I started in 2005, once you shook somebody's hand, they generally didn't leave you, even if you were a bad agent, because it was a pain in the butt to go find another agent. That's so easy to find another agent today. Come up with a professional process and you do it. How do you know you did it right? Because you do it right every single time. And it may be a little bit boring. It may not be something that sounds all exciting. I can you know, be special. Guys, if you do it the same way every single time, you'll know that you get a consistent result and you can track that and move forward. So um, I love what you had to say today, Aaron. It's great that you have processes in place. We appreciate you being on.
2: Yeah, seriously. Thank you, Coach Aaron. We really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to hearing you speak at Listing Agent Boo Carousel, I'm sorry, Business Strategy Mastermind Conference in November uh, in Anaheim. Super stoked to hear you speak there. Uh, And uh, guys, if you haven't already done so, get signed up for that, clubwealth.com forward slash BSM, clubwealth, I'm typing this in, dot .com forward slash BSM. Here's my final takeaway. Uh, My final takeaway is, guys, consistency matters. And, you know, we keep coming back to success is boring, right? The people that are the most successful are the people that most consistently apply the correct principles in their daily habits. When you do that, success is a natural foregone conclusion. These three have done that. You can do it too. So go out and find what is it in your business that you need to get more consistent at and do it right now. Mike Bernier just joined us. Mike, as a a great example, Mike is a very consistent guy every day. He knows what he's got to do. He gets on it early every day you guys need to do the same thing and make sure when you figure out what works just do it over and over and over and over again until it doesn't work anymore guys have an awesome day thank you all for being with us today remember inside each one of you is a world-class beast just dying to get out you got to choose to unleash that beast so go be world-class today take care everybody. everybody